So we're in this series of Ephesians through the summer and what it means to be a new and unified humanity. That Ephesians is a unique letter, i.e. it is not speaking to a problem, but it is a manifesto of something new. That if you wanted to know Paul's heart for what a Christian life is to look like, this is the letter for you. It's one of our favorite letters that you come across Christians. It's short. It's to the point. It has some deep understandings to it as well. It's kind of like the condensed version of Romans. But as this, this, this letter started, remember this is a letter that would have been declared out to different house communities. They would have preached this letter. Isn't that amazing? Just take a moment. These words that are being spoken 2,000 years ago, someone would have ushered these words into small homes, small spaces like these, and would have declared the truth of who they are. And so Paul starts with this wonderful praise, this poem of praise, this non-stop, non, uh, no a punctuation, 200 words declaring of who God, the triune God brought into community in Christ is what we spoke about in the first time. In Christ, that we have all these blessings, that you are chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, glorious grace, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, you're wise, inheriting the goodness of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, all for his glory. And that is good news this morning, that we prayed in prayer and Helen declared again that this is what we've received now. That you, when you are married, you are never more married than when you are first day. When you are born into a family, you are never more born into that family. You cannot earn any more of that family name than we already have. And so we have received all of this, and it's the unpacking of the Father's love as we learn to be reparented by Him, to be lovers of Him. And so I love that truth, and that we are chosen is what we looked at last week. A lot of times we think being chosen is in or out, if I'm good enough or not. God chose everybody, but it's our responsibility to choose him back. And as we choose him back because of Jesus Christ right now, that we have this truth. That we have this truth that in him, the Israel and the nation that once were separated, because remember, chosen is to be a vehicle of a blessing that God chooses the small, the insignificant to be a blessing to the world. He chose Israel, but Israel failed. And so he needs to raise up Jesus because the nation had failed, Israel had failed. And so in him, everything came together that we are now made equal, that we are now uh, brought in to the blessings that the Jewish people experienced, that now we are on equal standing, that we are blessed, chosen, beloved, predestined. All the language that was just for Israel alone, now in Christ, is exactly the same for us. Can I get an amen this morning? And I get an amen online, please, this morning as well. And so this truth that we have today is in Christ, you are chosen to be a vehicle of blessing to unite heaven and earth. And I just want to quickly go through this. This is what the picture looks like. If I could draw an image for you of what this all means, this next slide here. There is the earth and there is heaven. There is this age now that we live in. Evil and sin look like they reign. We experience a type of death. We see slavery. We see violence. We are cursed on this earth. Then there's this heavenly reality that when Jesus died upon the cross, when he rose again, that there was this world that came crashing into earth. That we experienced justice, love, life, freedom, the shalom, 
peace that is not just without war, but is a peace that is of whole within our being with God and one another, that we are blessed. And so we are right in the middle of this, that we have experienced the inauguration of the resurrection of Christ. And we are waiting for the consummation of when Jesus returns again in fullness to consummate the whole thing. And we're here in the middle of it all. And we get the choice of which age we will live in. Will we choose to live in the earth of the pain and suffering? Will we choose to be part of this present age? Or will we choose to live in the heavenly realms? Will we choose to live in the age to come which is not here in fullness right now? And so, what does that mean for us? How do we even live that out? And so, Paul, after this amazing kind of identity truth that he lays before us, he comes with this truth about prayer. He launches into a prayer. So, after praise, we launch in as Christians, as people who praise Jesus. He then launches into a prayer. Isn't that interesting that he launches into a prayer? So Paul, in our minds, believes that, Paul, uh, that prayer is the call to transformation. So I'm going to ask a question as a pastor to you. You don't need to respond by any means, just in your heart here today. How is your prayer life today? How's your prayer life today? Are you killing it? Did you wake up this morning, first thing on your mind, you're like, I am interceding for this nation. I am getting up. I am ready to go. No coffee for me because prayer is the igniter of my soul. Are you first off in every moment just interceding and praying that it is just your natural bent to pray and you just can't wait for it? Or is it when you wake up in the morning, you feel the pain and the angst? And as we said this morning, it's a miracle that I just got out of bed, Jesus. It's a miracle that I'm even here this morning, right? That I'm living and breathing, that this is the reality that I feel that I'm more in the world, in the age that is present than I am to the age to come. And man, I have all sorts of problems with prayer. Because if we're honest, it's really hard right now. We live in the age of distraction. Do you remember that age where boredom used to be a thing? Go back to the 90s. We remember that you would stand in the queue for the supermarket and you would be bored. You would be waiting for that slow cashier. You would be trying to pick the right lane to get through as quickly as possible. Now we don't even do that. I haven't stepped in a grocery store for ages because I get all my groceries picked up picked for me. I save my time and my waiting. As soon as I stand in any queue or any uh, line, what do I do? Get this little bad boy out because I don't want to waste a single moment. And yeah, I use it right. Social media comes out. I start flicking through all the latest columns, things of what's going on in the weather around the world. And I start filling my space with distraction. And it's hard that we have eliminated the portals of belonging to experience the heavenly realities because we are constantly distracted. That when we sit down, we would rather watch a series or at least attempt to try and find a Netflix series. The reality and pain of trying to find a TV series, you spend as much time in just watching as well. But we have more wealth than ever before. We have more money than ever before in history. And that's a good thing. Like, more eradication of poverty is happening, but we have more money, which means that we accumulate more, we buy more, we do more, and so therefore we are distracted even more, that we would rather spend and go and do things 
rather than actually be present and wait upon God. We don't need God anymore. I've got my life insurance, my health insurance, my pet insurance, my whatever insurance you want. You have it all taken care for you. Why do I even need to pray for my daily bread when bread is such a natural thing that I experience? It's funny, when Jesus uh, brought about the feeding of the 5,000, do you know bread, over 70% of your wages would have gone towards bread. And so when this Jesus bought bread out of nowhere, you want to follow that man. 70% of your wages covered for, I'm for that man. But now bread is nothing, a couple of bucks here and there. And so our daily bread means nothing. And we live and breathe in the age of secularism, where we ourselves believe that the way of man is God, that man's own reason is God. And the reality of speaking to something that doesn't seem to appear or exist is beyond us. If I can't see it, why should I believe it, is the question that we bring before people. And faith is becoming more eradicated in this nation as we determine that we are God and Lord. And so that is the trajectory that we are heading that is so dangerous. And we in this room know this to be true, yet we live and breathe it as well. Because we can live as agnostics as well. We proclaim there's a God, but do we truly trust in Him? Do we pray like there is someone in the room with us? It's a challenge that as I'm leading my children in devotions, in prayer, we're still at the stage of a template. They murmur or replica what we say, but they have yet to find a relationship fully. They confess that he's Lord. They love the idea of Jesus, but they're discovering who he is. And the question constantly, but I can't see him. Dad. I can't see him. How do I know he's real? And I always have to give the analogies of, well, do you see air? No. But do you experience it? Yes. Or well, this is like Jesus. And so I do all these trying helpful analogies, but yet they still need to experience him for himself. So Paul is leaning in to this idea of prayer, which reshapes the way that we think. And we know that prayer has changed this world. I know many of you in the room know historical moments where prayer changed the face of the earth. I think even recent history about the world wars, even in England, where a day was called for um, the Christians of England to pray. And Dunkirk was happening, this miracle where Hitler stopped warring for three days. In that moment, he could have eradicated England altogether. Hundreds of thousands of men were able to get off the beach and back home. And that was a turning point of the war for us as England, not being overthrown. And it was because of prayer. Everyone said it was a supernatural occurrence that happened. And they cannot understand why the Germans did what they did. But it happened. And so there's many more historical moments, even in America, the foundations of America built upon the purposes of prayer. And so Paul believes that prayer is part of making all things new. And so we're going to learn just about how to pray through Paul, because this isn't just another prayer that Paul is praying. No, this is a, a template for us to understand the power of prayer. So let's dive in here today. Let's jump in at verse 15. And if you have your Bibles, love for you to read along. If you have different translations, it's always fun to kind of understand the wording. We always encourage you to bring your Bibles here. Whether that's even on your phone, I'll even allow you on your phone. But brew out your Bible here. So chapter 1, we're back in again, verse 15. And it starts off, for this reason. Let's just pause there for a moment. For this reason. What reason do we have? Well, it's all the promises Paul is saying, 
Remember all that I've just said because I know how quickly you forget everything. Everything in Christ, the blessing in Christ. For this reason, you pray. Can I ask a question? Why do you pray? What reason do you pray? Because a lot of times we pray to get things. A lot of times we're praying to try and awaken Jesus when really we need to awaken the cross inside us. This quote, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of one who prays. God wants to see renewal in this world. God wants to see transformation in our lives, but we need to get his heart first. Amen? And actually, we don't need to convince or try and strong-arm Jesus into doing things in our life. No, he wants to, but he actually needs to change your perspective. And it's for this reason that we have identity before activity. This is one of the hardest journeys for Christians, that we need to learn who our identity in Christ is so that we can have the activity that's needed. Whenever I come into prayer circles or intercessionary times, I always encourage everyone, get the heart of God before you start praying. Don't start confessing all the things that you think that should be changed and done. No, get his heart first. Understand who you are as a Christian, that you are a loved son and daughter, that you are uh, part of the co-laboring of renewal to this world. Get that heart before you start going in there. Because the problem is we struggle with our faith, not just for external forces, but because we forget who we are. We forget who we are so we don't know how to pray. Because if a child comes who knows that they're loved, and when they come to request from a father, a good father, they know that they will receive it. But so often we come kind of like pleading with God because we don't believe who we are in Christ. So that's the first thing that Paul, when he comes in to pray, for this reason, pull everything that I've just said and make sure you've got it front and center when you come to pray. And he carries on. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Isn't that beautiful? He lays out, because of the faith that you have in Jesus, because of your walk, because of how you love each other, how you're in unity. I know you're, you're Jews and you're Gentiles. I know that you haven't got on. I know that you're rich and you're poor. I know that some of you are ill and some of you are healthy. I know that in the normal place that you would never hang out ever. In fact, you are enemies of one another. I love that you are loving each other, that you are in unity, that your differences do not separate you, but the love of Christ brings you together. I love that he says about the faith in the Lord, and it's not just the belief that Paul's talking about. Back in that time, he was your everything. He was your everything because when you confess that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, you were on the road for death at any single moment. So everything was pulled in that you are Lord and Savior. Isn't that interesting that he said that? That he declared, I've heard of your faith in Jesus and your love towards other people. Not the, uh, your children's ministry is amazing. Well done, good and faithful servants. Well done for all your awesome programs. I love your lights. They look really cool. Like, I love that your preachers are really edgy and have really cool stuff to say. Man, I love that about you. No, he confesses, I love your faith that Jesus is all you have, and I love how you love each other. What a challenge for us as a church. Do we represent that? Do we love each other well enough? Can we grow? Yes, always. 
But if this is the sign of a healthy church, this is what we want to go for. Interesting, he says that. Our love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in prayers. I don't cease in praying for you. Why, Paul? Why are you not, why are you not ceasing in prayer? They're doing good, right? Like, don't we just pray when people are in need? Remember when the prayer requests, prayer requests come through? When life goes down south, we start praying. Can I get an amen? Or is that a little too honest in the room today? Do we feel like we don't? When things are going well, we don't need Jesus. When things are going well in life, we cease to pray. Paul is saying, I love everything that you're doing right now. You guys are killing it in the faith. That is why I will not cease praying for you. Doesn't that? change our paradigm of why we pray, because I feel like we get into circumstantial praying, crisis management. We just pray when things aren't going well. These saints are doing well, and all the more reason to pray, because prayer adds fuel to how we walk out this Christian faith. If it's hard or easy, we pray. I love that, that Paul's setting that mandate Do you pray unceasingly? Or will you pray only when it's hard, when you need God? And I know this can just go over our minds and say, yeah, Johnny, I've heard it all before. But what if a church gathered this idea that we as co-laborers, as people who love Jesus, who are found as son and daughters, that understand the power of Christ, as that sits inside of our hearts today, in this room today, that we wouldn't stop ceasing to move heaven and earth to see transformation in Washington. Don't let your situations determine what you see to believe. But don't cease praying. When it's good, when it's bad, keep on rocking. Let's carry on here. So it goes on in verse 17. And he looks at how we begin to pray. So the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Again, that's really interesting from Paul, because what do we typically pray for? I pray for your health. I pray that you get that job. I pray for that relationship that you've got a problem with. We pray for the circumstance, don't we? We pray for the resolve of that situation. In any of Paul's letters, he never prays for the resolve of the situation. Every single time he prays for the knowing of God, not circumstances. He prays that the spirit of wisdom, the knowing of God, so that deep, rather than just uh, knowledge base, he prays for that knowing that is experiential, that gels deep into our souls. That he wants us to know that God is with us. And so often I think we shortchange what God is trying to do in our lives by trying to pray for the circumstance rather than knowing him. Prayer circumstance. So it opens our maturity. When we go through a trial, when we go through the pain, it makes us more mature. It begins something deeper. And so Paul's like, I don't want to pray for the resolve though he wants the resolve in your life. But he prays something far more deeper, that we would experience and know God on a deeper level. Have you ever prayed that way before? When you come to someone who has a situation, and you've said, man, I just pray that you know God more through that situation. 
I don't think I immediately go there. These people are suffering in Christ. They are being plagued. They have all sorts of problems. And you would think Paul would be like, man, I pray that the Roman Empire would be completely obliterated, that you would have no obstacles whatsoever. Wouldn't we pray that prayer? We'd be praying the dismantle of the Roman Empire. And Paul never prays that. Instead, he prays through your sufferings, through your pain, that you would know him more. It's like Paul knows something that we don't know. That maybe sometimes in this life, that the knowing of him is far greater than the situation that we face. And that's hard words to hear at the same time. I get that. Because sometimes I just want the answer. Because the answer would bring way more glory to his name. But maybe he cares more about your soul than the situation. I know that I am sometimes more thankful for the times where God didn't answer my prayers. Like when I wanted to go to Australia, I wanted to go ASAP. And the provision was not there. The circumstances were not there for me to be there. Thank God they weren't there because I wouldn't have met Rachel. We would have just missed each other. There are so many times in my, my situation of where I've wanted to see breakthrough. I've wanted to see things in my life. And actually, God wants to co-labor in the breakthrough because the lesson is in the circumstance rather than the healing. There is maturity in knowing him in your prayer. And so wouldn't it be interesting to say rather than the answer, God, I want to know you more because I know my soul is more important than the situation. Just something to think about in that moment. So as we carry on even reading this, because Paul is now going to outline what this knowing is. He's about to look through what that knowing is. And so he goes on, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to, number one. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, number two? And what is the, number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might? So I just want to break apart these three aspects today of what he wants us, what knowing does he want us to know as Christians. Because again, I believe, and Paul believes, that if we get this concept right in our prayer life, is we become relentless in ceaseless prayer, that we will see transformation not only in our lives, but in those around us. So the first one here, hope. Into the hope. So having our eyes enlightened to know what is the hope to which we have been called to. As Christians, we have the posture of hope. I know in this last year, during a pandemic, we haven't done a good job. that We've kind of just filled into the fear of the media and all the world. And so we haven't looked like the hope that maybe we should have looked like. And I'm guilty of that. When this all came rushing in, what on earth are we meant to do? But our present circumstances do not define us. Your present circumstance of what you're facing right now does not determine you. That's the hope that we have. We have this resurrection hope that looked like when all was lost, when the Savior who claimed to be the Savior died, who was beaten, humiliated, it looked like the darkest moment of the world. But yet in the most painful, broken moment, life came. And that life has echoed throughout all of things. And so our hope is countercultural. Our hope is countercultural. How many of us, and if we're honest in the room, put our hope 
in things rather than God. So easy to do. And Paul knows this because what you put your hope in directs your life. If it's your looks, your money, your reputation, you just being a hard worker. If you put your hope in those things and when they're taken all away, we are shaken. That's why as Christians, we came across this great shaking within this world. We felt all sorts of shaking because our hope was not placed in Jesus alone, that we didn't know this hope that went beyond death, that went beyond the things of this world, that we can hope in this moment. And we need to wake up to that fact that our hope is in Christ alone. So Paul is wanting to enlighten us to the hope that we have. To remind us as we pray for one another, as we pray for ourselves, when you pray, pray that people would know God, that they would know a hope that goes beyond the grave, that a hope that does not define your situation. Can I get an amen this morning? I know we're small in crowd, but we can still amen. And for you online as well, amen as well. Hope of the cross. Secondly, he says, the glorious inheritance. To which he has called you to, what are the so uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? And this is all kind of like biblical language, riches of glorious inheritance into the saints. And we can hear all those words and be like, yeah, I've heard those words, yes and amen. What does that even mean? And we've kind of spoke a bit like last week, but Paul is pulling straight from the Old Testament here. Deuteronomy 4, 20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. And then a couple of chapters on, in 7, 6 and 7. For you are a people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions. Out of all the peoples, who are in fact on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people, but the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all. Aren't you thankful for that kind of inheritance that we have in life that doesn't pick the biggest or the most grandest? No, he takes the smallest and the most broken and chooses them, not because of anything they've done, and says, you're going to be the vehicle of blessing to see transformation in this world. And so the theme of election we've talked about before, he chooses one to bless the many, that we are now a treasured possession, unique in that. A lot of times I always heard that and I thought it was my glorious inheritance. Anyone thought that when they heard that? It was like, this is my glorious inheritance. I've heard people at Bible college, I can't wait for the mansion I'm going to have in heaven. That big house that God's going to build for me. My glorious inheritance. And it's never about my glorious inheritance. It was always about now in Christ, we're chosen as family. We're chosen into his inheritance not my inheritance. And so the inheritance God has called us to is the redemption of this world, that his plan is for us to be all sons and daughters. So when we pray, we pray for a hope. We pray for a hope that goes beyond the grave, that are circumstances that don't define us. We pray for a glorious inheritance, i.e. that you are chosen, that you are the vehicle of blessing to this world. And fine and firmly, this is the kicker that I love, the, the one that really kind of kicks home. And what it is, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards all who believe. 
according to the work of his great might. So three things, hope, inheritance, and power. Paul wants you to know that you have a power that has conquered the grave. Man, if I could just preach on that the whole time, if my life could look like I actually believe the power that conquered the grave lives inside of me. Man, when I pray, I know that so often I let the mountain of circumstances overwhelm the huge, universal, breathing God inside of me. I let that overwhelm him. Do you experience that? Can we be honest in the room? Because I think if we truly pray that we have the greatness of his power, if Paul wants us to awaken to the immeasurable, unimmeasurable power that is inside of you, can I tell you today, online and in this room, you are more powerful than you even know. But yet I look around and see so many Christians that just do not believe that. They really do believe that this world is coming to an end and that God is not going to move through these clay vessels to transform this world. There are truly people that believe that narrative and are just hiding from the world. And I believe that God wants to transform this world, that he wants to make all things new, that he wants to take your life and breathe it into new. But when we hear the word power, I don't know what kind of fills your mind. Because power kind of has like a bit of a a tarnish to it. Because when we say someone's powerful, we think get out of their way. When we hear someone's powerful, we don't really want to cross them. And so Paul is really intentional about what kind of power that is. And this is the power that he says. Instantly, he brings clarity to what this power, this immeasurable power is. Because I've met a lot of Christians in this world that have self-power. That they believe that they can wield whatever they believe in Jesus' name, and it will be done. And that's just not the fact of how it's meant to be. That We have these power movements that say, in Christ, it's almost like the sun's um, of uh, sons of thunder in Jesus' disciples that say, Jesus, we want to fall down fire on this house and burn it right up. Have you ever met those Christians? They're like, I'm going to wield the name of Jesus for whatever I want it to do. And I think that when power comes in that way, it looks destructive. It doesn't look like Jesus because he brings clarity to what this power looks like. And he says this, the words of Christ raised him from the dead. Again, we've talked about this hope that goes beyond the grave, this hope that our circumstances are not, and we need to know the power that is behind that. We need to know the power that brings death to life. And we need to know that for our own lives. We need to know as Christians that we have this resurrection life that is moving through us. Because we live in this world where the age is, where seven billion souls live in a world that is sin, that is being broken more and more. And as we, as part of that 7 billion people, compound that sin issue by making just bad decisions. And over and over again, this 7 billion worth of people, sin and action, compounds and compounds. And we can believe the story that this world is falling apart. But Paul wants us to know that this brokenness is temporary. The world is about to experience a new life, a new restoration. And man, as Christians, we need to get hold of this resurrection power. We need to get, can we get hold of this this morning? Do we believe it this morning? I feel like I know the room's kind of like whatever, like Johnny, yeah. But if, man, if we could get this. Like I saw a group of students get hold of it. 
I really did. And some of you have lived a really long life, and you've heard this message a million times, and you're just like, yeah, but I'm over it. What if, if we chose today to take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to trust again. Something new and something fresh. Don't just go, Johnny, I love your energy. I love the things. Yeah, yes and amen. Pay lip service. What would that decision be today to recognize that power inside us? Not looking at the situation being answered for you, but choosing today in Christ to say, I am going to believe that the power inside of me is going to conquer all things around me. And so he brings clarity to the power that this, this power that we have, this power that we have conquers death. It conquers dead things. So there may be dead things in your life that need resurrecting. Maybe there is that healing that you need. Maybe there is that breakthrough that you need. But it brings transformation to life. If we believed as Christians that we could see the renewal power, that if the resurrection of Christ is not just for our salvation, but for the renewal of all things, if we started to pray over dead things, over Washington, over the um, pandemic, over the drug issue that's in Washington, over the racial divide that happens, over the inequalities of the poor and the rich, if we chose not just to drive past the houses and just think, well, this is just the way it is. When we drive, we drive through West End to this place, and every single day I confess, Lord, renew this land. And some days I look at it, I'm like, what on earth? There is no hope. When I look at people in their string vest, whatever going on, just standing, leaning against a post, I just want to be like, God, what can we do to change this mindset? But it starts with prayer. It starts with coming alive inside each and every one of us and who you are. And so he brings a second part to this clarity, and I want to land on this point here today. So resurrection of the dead, that's the kind of power inside of you but also seated at him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. Paul has a worldview that all of us I know in the room have this same worldview as well, that there is a power that has been defeated, but it is darkness. That at the beginning of time, that God gave authority to all over the world, different spheres and influences, that he is the God of all. That when he says he is the Elohim of Elohim, he is the Lord of all lords. That God created a system that he put people in charge and they chose to go against him. Know that in your biblical studies that man wasn't the only one to go against God that there was authorities in the spiritual realm that went against God as well. And so as much as we are battling in our own selves, can we remind ourselves as Western thinkers that there is a power out there that wants to destroy you? There is a power that is powerful, but it is not all-powerful. And so Paul wants to bring clarity to that. Because I think so often we live so much in in the natural world, we forget the supernatural. We forget and we negate. And even science is catching up with us now. Science is also proving that there is more than four dimensions. There are multiple universes. That In the mathematics of it all, they prove there is stuff that we will never be able to see. Isn't that cool? That science is catching up with the biblical language. That there is an enemy out there that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And that we need to remind ourselves that these principalities, these enemies are 
around us. And so we go on to just Ephesians 6, just to jump ahead, because this is what Paul means. Finally, be strong in the Lord, strength his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, sin and death age that we know. Against the spiritual forces of the heavenly places. This is our mandate as Christians, that we have a hope that regardless of what we look at right now, not, we're not determined by our present circumstances. We have a hope that is eternal, that is already done the battle and the war. We have an inheritance. We are chosen to be a blessing to this world. And we have authority over the darkness. Should have been an amen from someone in this room at that point. Someone, if you were listening, there should have been something. Because we have this hope that Paul finished off with. And he put all things, can everyone say all things? All things and gave him as head over things of the church and to his body and the fullness of him who fulfills all and all. But this is the truth. Thank you, Mara. Thank you. That this is the truth. And I know I've got a lot of yawns going across the room. That's why I'm trying to see if you're still awake and stuff like that. I get it. Like you ought to try and talk to you guys. It's not always easy. It's when people stand up on this stage, they get all types of nervous, whoever has, because you don't always look the most engaged. I know you're sinking into your heart. I get that. Maybe online, you guys are probably turned off as well. But in this thing, all things under his feet, I want to encourage you today that this truth is true. I don't care about your situation. I care about it, but I don't care about it defining you. I don't want your situation to define you. It's not who you are. You are in Christ, you are blessed, you are whole, you are going to see that fulfillment one day. Regardless of whatever plays out in this world, you will see the fulfillment of all things. And on the other side, we will look back and I swear we'll be like, oh, okay, everyone will do that, I guarantee that. But what if you chose today to reignite your prayer life, that regardless of your situation, that like Paul said, in, 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 in the idea that you're in Christ, pray unceasingly. Pray like you have a hope. Pray that you have an inheritance. Pray that you have power that goes over death, that it transforms your body, and you have power over authorities. Could we pray for one another like that? Could we pray for this place like this. And so I just want to finish up just by praying right now. So just every head bowed right now for you online. Would you join us in prayer? God, we lift up right now. We pray with this lens today that we are in Christ, that we did not need to earn anything more. But Lord, we come as sons and daughters of the Most High. And Lord, that we want to unceasingly begin to pray that when the circumstances seem to rise, that they will not overthrow our viewpoint. God, I come against the lies of the enemy right now. Lord, we come against these authorities that have tried to blind us, even as a church, where we have felt that, well, I failed again. It's failed again. It must not be God's will. God, I pray that we would know God, because you didn't pray, Paul, even for the answers. Lord, you prayed that we would know 
know you in all of this because that is the greatest thing that we can know through the trials, through the pains. You wanted us to know you. God, I pray that this church, Point View Church, would know you like never before. God, we wouldn't accept the mandate that we see before us. The world is trying to portray that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But Lord, that we choose right now, as Paul did, for the renewal of all things. God, we believe that Washington is going to be restored. We believe heaven on earth. We believe the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done in Washington as it is in heaven. In the surrounding areas of the southwestern Pittsburgh area, over southwestern PA, Lord God. Lord, over the dominion that you have given us, over the roles that you have given us, you have given us authority. And we will not let the identity the enemy tries to place on us in our circumstances be the identity that we live in. But we live in a hope that transcends our current situation. Lord, we live in that hope. I just pray for boldness right now. Boldness. I pray for dreams again to come alive. Yeah, it's summer and it feels like, can I just coast right now? God, I pray that we wouldn't coast, that we would choose today to stand up as sons and daughters who have the armor of God, who have all the tools at their disposal to raid heaven on hell right now. Lord, let us step up into that mandate today, not in fear and not because of our own self-works, but Lord, because of the heavenly works, because of the heavenly inheritance upon each of us to see your promised land come to this world. God, I pray for those hearts right now. Stir anew again. Stir a passion again. Not one of those feelings that gets waved in the waves. Not those things that, oh, I feel good, so I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray that we would just have an unrelenting, unattractive prayer life. Lord, it's not about the flashy showingness of everything. But Lord, it's just about this simple obedience to say, your will be done. Your will be done. May I know you more. May I know you more, King Jesus. And so, God, we just lift up this season of life to you. May you come, Holy Spirit, come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.